The Dr. Lodi Podcast empowers people to think for themselves and teaches people how to achieve optimal health, free from cancer and all other chronic conditions. As a medical doctor, clinical psychologist, nutritionist, historian, philosopher, and the pioneer of what has now become the definitive route for those unsatisfied with the modern cancer treatment system, Dr. Lodi will deliver information that you've never heard before. Tune in and discover what a true second opinion really means, how to stop making cancer, why there is no such thing as diseases, and what you are truly capable of achieving in your life. Anyway, so today's what, December 3rd for most of you to de- December 4th for some of us on this side. And so, uh, so I got uh, Thailand and good morning, Vietnam and uh, good morning, Australia, New Zealand and Malaysia, Indonesia, Singapore, Cambodia, Myanmar, India. What else? Anyway, but pretty crazy, huh? Um uh, <clears throat> Just a reminder to me, why is there so much bright light? Just a reminder to me that there's the only thing that changes are clocks and calendars. But it's always now, no matter what, no matter what, which is a good thing that we have an eternal now. I think God was uh, amazingly. uh, I mean, the more you think uh, about existence and what is, you realize how incredible it is. That's why a little kid can look at a a fly or a grasshopper and just go, wow. We all should do that. We lose our awe. We lose that. I don't know. We become jaded and we get, we get used to things. So um, anyway, so here we are. So the reminders are, uh, oh, by the way, I guess those of you who, who, who have Facebook realize that they some, for some reason, let us back on. We're not sure why. Um, although I had an amazing team that just kept hammering them with like, I don't know, 21 formal complaints, letters to attorney generals, all sorts of stuff. I mean, they just kept hammering them and they never answered us. They just one day turned us on. So here we are. So that's great. That's, that's good. But we're all, we're, we're going to, we're still, so we're at Facebook at DR Thomas Lodi and as well as the, um, YouTube, Rumble, Instagram, TikTok, and LinkedIn at Dr. Thomas Lodi. But uh, the one Twitter X is uh, at Dr. Thomas Lodi MD. Different, and you can always go to the website um, drlodi.com/slash/live. You know, people always say forward slash. I've never seen a backward slash, so maybe uh, maybe there is. I've just never seen one. So anyway, uh, what I wanted to talk about was. Some of this stuff. Now, wait, where was that? Uh, there we go. Okay. All right. So, um, questions. Let's let's just get into questions. Let's try to do this quickly today. Um, by the way, you know, I, I just let you all know that there there's all replays. These these all replay in other words you can watch this tomorrow if if you're like if you're in europe and it's way too late then just go to sleep and you can watch it tomorrow um or any day yeah so they stay the only place that doesn't do that is tiktok 
Uh, but it's it's on YouTube and it's on Rumble and all that. So, and, and I guess I don't know about the website. Yeah, I don't know. So anyway, uh, let's answer some questions. Um, so uh, this is uh, the web website questions. I didn't see any questions from Facebook this week. I guess people forgot got out of the habit. That's cool. Um, website questions. Okay, here we go. This is from Faye, and she says, Hi, in one of your lives, you discussed body temperature, but I'm unable to find or remember what you said. My waking temperature taken under the arm over seven days is 35.3. Should I be concerned <coughs> by this? I am, <coughs> excuse me, I'm a 69-year-old female. Thank you. Okay, so obviously, uh, Faye's using um, um, a centigrade. Um, and a lot of people, um, well, I guess it's only America. Is it only America that uses Fahrenheit? Yeah. America, you know, America's weird, right? They don't, no centimeters. I mean, there's no metric system, right? So got to learn all these bizarre things like pound, pounds and ounces and, uh, gallons and quarts and the rest of the world just goes by leader leaders. It's so much simpler. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, so, but anyway, so 35.3 is what? What is that in, in, in Fahrenheit? That in Fahrenheit, that must be like around 96 something. Yeah, 96. So remember, normal or, or healthy temperature for um, for humans is at Fahrenheit 98.6 degrees and at centigrade 37 degrees centigrade. And why is that our healthy temperature? What does that have to do with anything? Why should we be that temperature? Well, um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, you know, th- there are actually multiple reasons, but I think one of the most fundamental reasons is that, um, as we've discussed before, you know, there's 36 septillion chemical reactions going on in our bodies every second. And each one of those is mediated by an enzyme. Okay. Chemical reactions, enzymes, chemical reactions are electrons trading positions and places. That's all it is. That's all it is. It's electrons. It's all about electrons. Life is all about electrons. That's what it is. And where do electrons come from? Very strange. Anybody ever think about that? Well, here on Earth, when the light, which doesn't have any mass, right? What is light, right? It has no mass and it has no charge or anything like that. Um, and they call them photons. I mean, they, they, they describe, it's described in science as uh, being made up of <clears throat> photons, which are particles. <clears throat> but there's really, there are really no particles. It's really, it's really uh, frequencies, frequencies. Uh, uh, that's what light is. Uh, but anyway, <clears throat> when that hits the uh, uh, green leaves and photosynthesis occurs, what, what happens? Uh, that, that light is turned into electrons. And that's where electrons come from. And those electrons are passed off as ATP, as glucose, and things like that. Uh, oxygen, which is two oxygen molecules, t- are held together by all these electrons. Very, very um, useful. <clears throat> so that... Um, Biological organisms can have uh, energy and move around and uh, do what they need to do. So it all comes from electrons. So anyway, um, that's what chemical reactions are. And uh, we've got to 
we've got a lot of them going on in our body, as we mentioned, 36 septillion per second and um, mediated by enzymes. Now, what are enzymes? Enzymes are proteins. Um, and they are, uh, our body makes about 30,000 proteins. Uh, we make about 300,000 peptides, which are just small proteins, 50 or less amino acids. Um, but anyway, so now, so enzymes, what are they? Enzymes are basically what are known as, uh, in the non-biological world as catalysts and catalysts, um, decrease basically the reaction time. So things occur quicker, quicker. Okay. So for example, um, uh, a solution with hydrogen peroxide would be bouncing around and perhaps, uh, who knows, <coughs> once a week, two hydrogen peroxides would hit and psh, turn into water and oxygen, right? Um, because H2O2 is hydrogen peroxide, right? So, um, but if you have this enzyme in there called catalase, you'll get uh, you'll have that reaction in, instead of happening once a month, once a month, once a week. Whatever, I don't know how often that occurs. Um, it would be happening a little over a million times per second. Yeah, that's yeah, that's the miracle of uh, of, of life. Things happen like at at that rate. You'd have to call that instantaneous. I mean, I, it's, I, I don't know what instantaneous is, how it's defined. Never really thought about that. But it's one of those words that you don't really think about uh, defining. But <clears throat> anyway, uh, it's a little bit, it seems to be faster than the speed of light, over a million per second. But anyway, that's what it does. So now these enzymes, in order to do their job, they have a, um, uh, they're made up of amino acids. So their primary structure is the is the sequence of amino acids, right? Right. And then because of hydrogen bonding, they fold. That's called the secondary uh, structure of, an, of, a, of a protein, of, a, of an enzyme. Uh, and then they have a tertiary structure, which is their three-dimensional shape. So they whatever their shape is. And it's very <clears throat> interesting that you could have a you know, an enzyme with 190 amino acids and it goes, it has, it has a shape like this. And it's just down here where the actual work takes place just down here. So uh, this whole, this, all of these amino acids and all of that are, are in that position just so that this can happen. All right. So that's very important. That three dimensional shape, it's called a tertiary structure. And, uh, what maintains the tertiary structure? Well, two fundamental, fundamentally two uh, physical properties. Number one, pH, which is acid alkaline. And the second one is temperature. Yep, yep, yep. Temperature is what? Temperature is um, basically a way of measuring energy, a way of measuring, you know, energy, speed. That's what temperature is, the speed of molecules. Okay, so... Um, so all the enzymes in our body, uh, function most, um, uh, optimally at 37 degrees centigrade or, uh, 98.6 Fahrenheit, right? right? I don't know what it is in Kelvin. Um, that's the third scale that they use in science. Uh, but, uh, 
Stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome to the Alchemy of Natural Healing. I'm your host, Laurel Dewey. True healing is an alchemical process, meaning it must transform you on all levels, body, mind, and spirit. What affects one affects all three. True healing is one of the hardest journeys you'll ever travel, but it's one of the most rewarding and fulfilling when you get to meet yourself for the first time. If you're ready to take that journey, let's get started. So, yeah, um, so those two properties, the pH and the, uh, um, and the temperature. So all of the enzymes in our body need that temperature, except for our white blood cells. Our white blood cells, they function optimally at about Fahrenheit 103.5 to about 104.5, and in Centigrade, it's about uh, 40.5 to 41, 41.5, around 41.2 or 3. Anyway, so that's where they function optimally. That's why um, uh, we get a fever. And so when we get a fever, it increases the ability of the immune system to work faster, and it does. And <clears throat> fever is the way we recruit things. And that's very, very important when it comes to people who have chronically fermenting cells. <clears throat> so for chronically fermenting cells, as you all know, <clears throat> excuse my voice, I um, just traveled to Japan. And uh, I mean, I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but when I got back, my started putting with my throat. <clears throat> Anyway, <clears throat> so this question is about body temperature. So why should we be concerned? Well, 35, this woman, Faye, says is pretty low if 37 is the healthy um, temperature. Okay. So um, now, one of this is the way that we really measure thyroid function because we can't trust the uh, the blood test of t4 and t3 because even though they might whatever they might be normal low high whatever we don't know what they mean because we don't know what the four and the three are we don't know if they're iodines they're most likely not iodines if you're not japanese or korean because you're not getting enough iodine in your diet and if you're not getting enough iodine in your diet and you do have lots of uh, bromide bromine um uh, fluoride, fluoride and chloride, which we all do, then it'll just use one of those. So we don't know what it means, uh, but because we know people have normal thyroid function tests and they're still um, not feeling quite right, kind of slow and all that. And it's because the, uh, the whole purpose of thyroid is to deliver the iodide <clears throat> to the mitochondrial membrane to cause it to depolarize and produce energy. That's it. So if you don't have the iodines there, if you've got a bromide or a chloride or a fluoride, it doesn't have the same ability to do that. Even though it's functionally the same, it's a halogen, which is, it's in the same row, vertical row col column <clears throat> in the periodic table. 
but size, it's a different size. So it just doesn't fit, doesn't do it. Um, and so since we can't rely on the blood test, what we can rely on is body temperature. So the only times that you cannot rely on the body temperature is when you are um, uh, a woman's ovulating, because it usually goes up one degree centigrade during ovulation, uh, or fever. You know, I mean, you're sick. Yeah. Other than that, you can rely on body temperature. And why do we do it early in the morning before you get out of bed? Because we don't want you to generate any heat by walking. Because walking, will, the, the, your muscles will generate heat and it will change. It, will, it won't be your basal body temperature. So your basal body temperature is before you get out of bed in the morning. And we do axillary. We take an axillary. You get a thermometer and you put it in your armpit and you <clears throat> wait for about a minute. Then you click it and it'll, because there's no longer any uh, uh, um, um, liquid old-fashioned ones. We know where they used to have mercury or they had this red, red, red stuff. I don't know what it was. But uh, so now it's all digital. So it'll, it'll so you, you write it down. You do that five days in a row. Um, this woman did it seven days. We do five days in a row. And if the average is less than 97.8 or less than 36.8 centigrade, 97.8 Fahrenheit, if it's less than that, that means you are <clears throat> what they call subclinical hypothyroid, subclinical. Subclinical means clinical just means uh, your a person's interaction with a human being. Uh, uh, clinical findings were, you know, he had a lump, you know, hair was falling out. Those are clinical findings, heart rate, things like that. Clinical findings are what you see on the person versus laboratory findings versus PET scan findings, imaging findings and stuff like that. So that's what, uh, uh, so it's called subclinical, meaning you're not really noticing it too much. You're just kind of sluggish and stuff. Subclinical hypothyroidism. Okay. And probably, and not probably, I, I mean, I've only, I've only actually, had a few people, I don't even, less than five in uh, 35 years of practice who uh, who had healthy temperatures. Yeah, everything's low. So what does that mean? That means not only all your cells, your immune cells, your heart cells, your kidney cells, your liver cells, your skin cells, every cell. Um, is, is, is working at a lower pace than it could not optimally, okay? So you want to get that up optimally, especially if you have CFCs. CFCs, chronically fermenting cells, for those of you who are new, <clears throat> we don't use the word that <clears throat> was designed by the um, uh, Rockefeller industry to uh, scare people to death, um, and it's that zodiac sign that falls between Gemini and Leo. You don't know what that is. Well, they call it the crap. Up. What happened? There we go. Whoa, that was weird. Okay. So uh, anyway, we don't use that. We don't use the word cancer. We like the word chronically fermenting cells. Why? Because it's a, it's a real description. It's I mean, it's real. It's telling you what it is. They're chronically fermenting cells. They're not this crab walking around. Okay. So yeah. And plus that crab makes people scared to death. And we don't, there's none of these. You hear the word CFC, it doesn't, or the, uh, the, the acronym CFC doesn't bother you. doesn't make you afraid. Um, <clears throat> so should I be concerned? Well, you need to bring it up, Faye. You need to bring it up. And how are you going to bring it up? It's due to low thyroid, okay? Unless you had a stroke in your hypothalamus, which I'm sure you didn't, uh, you know, because the hypothalamus is part uh, up, up in that, around that area, the, the hypothalamus and the thalamus. Um, 
but if, if you if you, you didn't have that and you would know it if you had that um then you got it's it's thyroid so we, you're gonna at this point what you're gonna need and why do we have low thyroid because we don't have enough iodine so number one, we got to start taking iodine, and we take it in the form of Lugol's or iodorol. We've talked about this over and over again. Minimum minimum of twelve point five milligrams a day. You can take higher twenty five milligrams a day. However, you must be at the same time. I've, people, some people take hundred milligrams a day. Um, doesn't it really doesn't matter as long as you realize that the iodine is going to suppress the output of thyroid. So therefore, you need to <clears throat> be taking uh, a natural thyroid. Uh, medication until you have enough iodine so that your body is making enough uh, adequate uh, thyroid. Okay, so it's a long answer to this, but just because it applies to so many things. And I just wanted to, a lot of other questions people may have. All right, so we would get uh, uh, a natural one. Now, natural ones um, come from animals, so they're called glandulars. Uh, and um, so <clears throat> if someone is a vegan, um, for philosophical reasons, which is the, the the reason you should be at philosophical, moral, um, not wanting to kill, then you'll have a lot of trouble uh, justifying to yourself using those. They usually get it from pigs, uh, thyroid gland, and you know they have to kill the pig. But I think the, they don't kill them for the thyroid; they kill them for other reasons. But it doesn't matter. It's still it's still um, it's obtained through violence, and a lot of people can't don't want that. And I understand totally get right there with you, right there with you. I don't, I don't, um, I don't like violence. I, um, yeah, I, 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 I avoid it at all costs and I hate to see it. Can't watch it. I can't, I don't, I don't know why people like to watch violent stuff, sports and <coughs> fighting, watch someone get beat up. And, but anyway, uh, so um, anyway, pigs usually, and now uh, you can get, um, you can order from New Zealand. It's, um, is it New Zealand? Yeah, New Zealand. Um, it's called Thyrovance, ending in a Z with a Y, Thyrovance. And uh, you can get 50 milligrams 75 milligrams 100 milligrams and then you titrate up and uh we've talked about that before so it's 35.3 so maybe you'll get a thyrovance uh, so you don't have to call a doctor it's great not to have to deal with doctors doctors are uh <clears throat> not only um i mean i mean it's not really convenient to have to stop your life and go wait in a doctor's office and they're always late and um, then they are expensive, and uh, usually they don't know much about anything. They don't. It's bizarre. As bizarre as it sounds, they don't really know much, and they don't really help much. You know, the ones who fix things, like surgeons, I mean, they know what they know, and they and you just definitely want to get a surgeon who's doing a particular type of surgery all the time, or a dentist who's good at... Uh, cleaning out um, <clears throat> cavitations, replacing root canals, um, um, doing inlays, onlays, doing all. You want someone who's good at that. So those are those kinds of um, uh, activities that are that are healthcare related are really important. 
and you've got to be, you know, you've got to be skilled at it. Um, but other than that, the, um, the, uh, and, and the one thing, unfortunately, about the surgeries is we all know there's way too many unnecessary surgeries. Um, um, so, and especially in the field that we're talking about, which is CFCs, we know that too, there's just way, way, way too much. However, when it's necessary, you really need them, and they're and and they're really skilled and good. Um, but uh, the other, the, the rest of us, you know, like me uh, and the rest of them, we you know, the only remedies we had for people who were ill uh, have been poisons. We poison people. So um, I don't anymore. I mean, I, you know, occasionally we have, you know, it's, I have an integrative approach and a lot of uh, people, a lot of uh, physicians do now, Uh, not a lot, but it's a growing number of uh, our, have an integrative approach, meaning what, what's integrative oncology. It means that we're going to use, uh, we're, 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 we've come to know that no one system has all the answers, right? Um, whether it's traditional Chinese medicine, whether it's traditional Thai medicine, whether it's uh, traditional African medicine, uh, European medicine, uh, Native American medicine, it doesn't matter. It doesn't have all the answers. Um, you know, um, so... Um, and, and allopathic, the MDs certainly don't, and the osteopaths certainly don't, naturopaths certainly don't. Uh, no one's got all the answers. Ayurvedic certainly doesn't. So what do you do? You'd use the best of all of them, and you've got to know them all to know when to use what, and that's what an integrative approach is. All right? Just kind of <clears throat> clarifying some stuff for you today. <clears throat> so... Um, So thyrovance comes from New Zealand, and the 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 uh, for yourself, not for the cow. The cow gets killed, but for yourself, it's an or, at least it's an organic cow, um, and uh, yeah. But thyroid is one of those hormones, one of those things that is conserved through species. Conserved. What does that mean? That means that it's pretty much the same in a cat, dog cow the same as like insulin is the same right so a lot of these are are conserves that's why you can use them um so anyway you would take the thyrovast for for example your 35.3 should be 37 so you can say well i'll take a 75 milligram thyrovance in the morning on an empty stomach and i'll do that for about a week 10 days and then while i'm taking it i'll do another five days of basal body temperatures if i'm still low i'll take another one uh, early, like around 11.30 a.m., a uh, half hour before eating or whatever, if I eat at 12, uh, if I eat at 1, I'll take it at 12.30 maybe. Um, so then, um, and I'll do that for about 10 days. And uh, and then while I'm taking both of them, do the basal body temperatures again. And if we're still low, then we'll have to take a second one in the mornings. Depends on how low we are. So instead of thinking 75, you might take a 50 in the morning. I don't know. We have really depends. Uh, and um, a lot of times people wind up having to take two of some kind in the morning and two of some kind in the afternoon. Um, and uh, now if you don't have a thyroid, if you've had it removed, then you're probably going to at least need 75 twice a day, at least. Uh, and remember, these natural, the reason they're called natural thyroids is because, uh, as I said, they're conserved through species. Um, and they have both the T3 and T4. There's other ones, just T1, T1, but they do not. 
involved. T3 is the active one, right? T4 is a, a pro-hormone. Uh, and you can make sure you're taking selenium or you're getting, you're eating a lot of Brazil nuts. There's selenium and other things, but Brazil nuts are famous for it. Four, four Brazil nuts give you uh, 200 micrograms of selenium. So that's good. Um, and selenium is necessary for you for uh, to convert the T4 to T3 by taking off the iodine. The enzyme involved is called the iodinase. So, yeah, you should do that, Faye. And you'll, yeah. And you monitor it. You go up and down. And then as you're taking the iodine over the years, you'll see that after about two years, you're gonna, you'll are gonna you start to not need it as the, the, uh, your temperatures are maybe a little high. You start lowering or your heart rate will start to go up because now you don't need the thyroid. You're making your own. And you can wean off them. That's the good news. Sherilyn. Uh, <coughs> Hi, I was diagnosed with TNBCID. I guess that's triple negative breast CFCs. Introductal must be ID. Stage two. I started on chemo and immunotherapy, but because of sepsis, had on, only about five rounds of carbo and one of AC. AC is usually adromycin and cytoxin. <clears throat> I dramatically improved my diet to low inflammation and taking TCM. Uh, I guess that's traditional Chinese medicine. I've had chronic eczema all my life. Supplements, I had CPR following a lumpectomy. What's CPR? Please, people, let's not use acronyms. I don't know what you mean. You had CPR. I think that is cardiopulmonary resuscitation. CPR following a lumpectomy. Huh. Okay, so now I'm offered radiotherapy without boosts <coughs> as I decline markers. What do you think? Wow, I'm not sure what you mean, you declined boosts. Well, without boosts and you declined markers. Markers, you mean when they leave, they leave those clips in. Okay, yeah, gotcha, for sure. But without boosts, I don't know what a boost is. You're offered radiotherapy, just tell them, you know, no thanks. Uh, <clears throat> uh, no thanks. If I need radiation, I'll take a vacation in uh, Fukushima. I've always wanted to go to Japan, but I'm not going to get radiation. Okay. You don't need radiotherapy on your breasts. Okay. You do not. You do not. Um, and <clears throat> they cause problems. B major big problems. Yeah. Like what? Oh, if it's a left breast, you can get cardiac effusions, you know, you can get um, uh, ultimately cardiac tamponade. You can get pleural effusions. You get tissue damage, and it causes CFCs. It causes CFCs. Yeah, causes CFCs. And that's why the radiologist is not standing next to you holding your hand, and neither is the technician. They're behind lead walls. Why? Because it's a very benign treatment? No. Okay, so anyway, one of the things about you know triple negative is that we think of uh, well, they've got us. Uh, they, 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 the uh, American Society of Clinical Oncology, ASCO. You know, it's kind of like the leading professional um, uh, oncology association worldwide. 
um, everybody, you know, I, th- I think over half of its members are, are not not in the United States. Um, yeah. And any 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 oncologist who wants to make a name for themselves will publish at ASCO and they'll present their paper at ASCO. It's like a big deal. Um, and now there are other, you know, each country has their own, uh, you know, just like there's the American Cancer Society. There's the Singapore Cancer Society. There's the uh, Malaysian cancer, you know, so but. Anyway, this is the one. This is the big one, and this is where all the algorithms come from, and all the algorithms where they tell all the oncologists what to do under certain circumstances, under every any circumstance, and they've covered them all. Now they call these guidelines, but there are guidelines like ah instructions. Yeah, they're instructions. You do it, or you're not practicing in the standard of care, and therefore um, you can lose your license, and uh, you could, if anything happens to the uh, to the person you're working with, uh, then you're liable, come, et cetera. However, if you're following the guidelines and it doesn't matter what happens to them, their skin falls off, their nose falls off, their, their arms fall off, eh, you know, and, uh, we were doing standard of care. So that's just one of the, one of the risks. Um, yeah. So, <clears throat> so anyway, what they call uh, triple negative B- BC breast, uh, CFCs, um, it's because it doesn't have an estrogen receptor, progesterone receptor, or her, and it doesn't. It hasn't up uh, uh, increased its uh, her two. Her two is a epidermal epidermal growth factor that is on um, all, almost all cells. So, um, and there's five of them, and this is the second one. So anyway. Um, anyway, it gets upregulated. It gets they have increased uh, amounts of it in certain people with CFCs of the of the breast and the colon and and other ones as well. It's not just breast. So so triple negative is mean it means you have the worst prognosis. Why? Because they don't have any drugs. So if you've got ER positive, estrogen receptor positive, they can give you tamoxifen. They can give you uh, uh, an astrazole. They can give you you know. Uh, Letrozole, there's a lot they can give you to block things. Are they fixing the problem? No. Are they are they eliminating the CFCs? No. Have they fi- figured out what, how you got the CFCs? No. They don't care. They just want to sell drugs. That's all. They just want to sell drugs until you become resistant to them. And then they got another drug. And then, then when you become resistant, and then at the end they go, well, now you're, uh, you're hormone resistant. Um, so, blah, blah, blah. so they got their algorithms, the algorithm, and they don't have to think about it. the algorithm. Tell them what to do. However, there are things. There are like a lot of natural substances. Ivermectin really works very well on them. Um, so do the benzimidazoles, which are for parasites. They work. It works good on that. Uh, vitamin C works very good on triple negative. Uh, it has no effect. So they say triple negative is the worst. And catch this now, triple positive is the second worst. What? How's that happening? If you think, if don't think about it too much, because you'll be your mind will be as blown as mine, and the last thing you want to have is a mind as blown as mine. Um, so anyway, but um, but there's even another thing. There was a there was um, not too long ago a um, now, now the triple negatives make up what fifteen to twenty percent of of women with a, a, a breast CFCs. Um, well, there is. Um, a group, uh, anyway, there was these group uh, in, where was it? In uh, uh, was it USC? I don't know. Anyway, somewhere in the US. And a group of people looking at uh, 
triple negative. And they were looking at some enzymes, and I don't know how they got to these enzymes, but they were looking at the two oxoglutarates uh, dependent enzymes. Um, <clears throat> and they found uh, one specifically um, that, that that seemed to be significantly related to uh, the the formation of triple negative, right? And this it's got it's got a weird name. It's called gamma butyrobetaine uh, hydroxylase, but they call it B box, B B O X one. Okay, and what it does is it's necessary for the <clears throat> for the production of the biosynthesis of uh, something called L carnitine. L carnitine is a molecule that escorts <clears throat> fatty acids. <clears throat> from outside the cell over to the mitochondria to be used in fatty acid oxidation. So you can get energy from uh, fatty acids. Um, so um, what they found was if they blocked this gene, the gene that uh, control uh, that produced the, the B box, uh, that, that produced the, the carnitine, uh, that the triple negative CFCs would um, stop moving and then pretty soon die. And likewise, in another experiment, if they <clears throat> stimulated that particular gene, then you'd see proliferation of triple negatives. So, oh, seems pretty, pretty, pretty promising. Um, and <clears throat> the interesting thing is they found a couple of drugs that actually block block that. Uh, that that gene, and it turned out it's not the carnitine, but it's rather it's the gene, the enzyme. You know, they, it has specific uh, it produces enzymes that have uh, specific activities. Um, but anyway, by the blocking it, there's two drugs. One I wasn't sure what it was, but the other one is uh, it's called mildronate, mildronate, mildronate. It's used in Europe for. Um, Cardio, uh, cardiovascular ischemia, you know, which is low, low blood flow, no oxygen. Same with cerebral ischemia. Why? So what is it doing? It's increasing blood flow, increasing oxygen um, uh, delivery. That's what it's doing, right? So it turns out that, um, but it does it by blocking the, the B box. It's very interesting. So this drug, which is used, uh, mildronate, uh, in Europe, can be used for that pretty successfully, uh, and it's a very mild, it's a very mild, uh, not, not a big side effect profile drug, um, and so anyway, that's something that's uh, anybody with triple negative might want to look at. But forget that now. I mean, don't forget that. I'm just that's important. But keep in mind this, too, that all CFCs, doesn't matter. I don't care what they're expressing, uh, um, you know, what 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 um, what markers or whatever they're expressing on there and what what they call are uh, what they call uh, mutations and stuff like that. It doesn't matter. The thing is, it's a chronically fermenting cell. OK, and it happened that way. We've got to figure out how it happened. Did it happen because I have a hidden dental cavitation or I have a. Uh, a root canal, or I have uh, 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 some sort of metal titanium implant, and it's called <clears throat> it's caused the erosion of the bone. And do I have that sort of thing? Do, you know, um, uh, or do I have parasites? Um, 
because we know that if I'm living in the 21st century, I definitely have heavy metals, definitely have uh, uh, environmental toxins, definitely have uh, plastics, definitely have uh, uh, all kinds of nasty, nasty stuff in our bodies. We know that. So until we get rid of all those things, which <coughs> collectively <clears throat> cause the, okay, what are CFCs? They are cells that have lost a sufficient number of mitochondria so that they can't use oxygen anymore. Now, in order to make their energy, to, to, to manage their energy needs, they have to uh, ferment. It's also called glycolysis. And so they that's what their job is now, right? Because energy is the most important thing a cell does, right? It has to make energy before it can do anything. So, you know, that's, you know, that's, that's what it is. So, um, all those things that I mentioned in uh, collectively damage mitochondria. Okay, now what contributes to that damage uh, by completely wiping out the immune system, and that's called stress. Now, stress not only, and what is stress again? Stress is a simply put when you don't like what is. If you like what is, it can be challenging and exuberating and it's going to get you excited and you're still going to be producing all that cortisol and all that epinephrine, you know, the adrenaline, but you're, it's going to be used because you're, uh, uh, you, you know, you're excited, you're doing it, you're, 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 okay. But if you're not, if you're just, if you're producing the same amount of cortisol and epinephrine and you're just sitting there and you're bummed out, uh, then it's causing a lot of problems, right? Yeah, because we know that. We know, you know, cortisol, Cortisol is catabolic. We know that increases blood sugar and all sorts of things and epinephrine and, you know, uh, it's just all, all that stuff. It can have a ne very negative effect, but that's just on that level. But other than that, it also suppresses the immune system directly. How? Decreases natural killer cells, decreases, inactivates T cells that are activated, uh, inactivates dendritic cells, inactivates macrophages, all these all these cells that are that are necessary for us to have a, an, a, a, an appropriate immune response to eliminate uh, CFCs. Yeah. So very, very important that we deal with that stress. I mean, and in fact, it's the most important thing because you can do everything else perfectly. You can eat right, cleanse. Blah, blah, blah. But if you're totally in fear, you're totally you're like angry, you're regretful, you've got all that stuff going on, you're, you're, you can't be okay. You won't be okay. Okay. So you'll learn how to do that. And, um, there are many, many ways, um, meditation, surfing, if you're a musician, play music, uh, dancing, uh, skiing, surfing. Yeah. Surfing's a great one. Uh, but you can't do that all the time. So you gotta learn to meditate. You gotta learn to meditate. What is meditation? Meditation is learning how to not think, not think, not think, not think it's not i don't call it mindfulness i call it mindlessness and when you stop thinking all of a sudden you take your foot off of the brakes of the immune system and it takes over and if we have fully functioning immune systems it doesn't matter how many cfc's are in our body two weeks they're gone yeah so um anyway that's that for triple negative so what I'm saying is don't don't even care because it could be triple negative and then over here it's triple positive and 
I had a lady have one metastasis up here and it was anyways opposite to what it was down here. So it doesn't matter. You can't like, you know, don't, don't even think about that. And they'll change. They'll change depending on their unique um, um, micro environments. Okay. Let's look at a new question here. Uh, uh, this is Loretta uh, had a breast ultrasound and they think it is a cyst and want to aspirate it and maybe biopsy. Is this something that is recommended? Yeah, it's recommended by them, but not by me and not by anybody else. Just don't worry about it. Um, uh, it's, not, it's not that you don't worry about it. Um, they think it's a cyst. Well, it's either a cyst or not. If they don't know if it's a cyst, then take the uh, go get another ultrasound somewhere. Um, but it's not it's not unusual for a woman to have uh, what's called fibrocystic. Um, conditions in, in her breast. And that can be remedied with iodine, uh, um, applied vaginally, um, and uh, also balancing hormones because usually uh, women develop that when they have estrogen dominance. That means they've got more, uh, they have a net effect. Their net production of estrogen and progesterone favors estrogen. So that's that. And a cyst can also be a parasite, yes, and I think most cysts probably are parasites, except for um, the fibrocystic situation that goes on with breast from iodine. Um, but anyway, and you so so you've got to do you know if you got CFCs, you've got to get a, a three <coughs> a three D cone beam um, uh, of your of your of your mouth, and you've got to get uh, you've got to take paras uh, antiparasitics. You've got to do a fairly long uh, juice cleanse um, of fresh juices, fresh vegetable juices, not fruit. Um, and um, and then when you resume eating, you're going to eat human food. And human food is, I don't know, I know, I had, I had one guy, uh, one guy sent me a notice. And I know there are people out there who subscribe to the idea of paleolithic diets and anyway, human food is plants, period. Okay, so but the paleolithic thing is, okay, first of all, this is prehistory and it's it's all conjecture. Um Oh no, but we found bones in the caves in the cave. Right, right, right. Well, these guys were in living in Europe and they're actually equatorial creatures. And in Europe, like Germany, France, all this during the winter, not a lot of plants growing, not a lot of fruit growing. So that's that was their adaptive uh, their adaptation to living. Uh, not in their biological niche. We were not designed to live in these places, right? So we can survive, we can do it, all that, but I'm just saying we're not, we're, yeah. So you wind up uh, eating animals, and uh, uh, but that's not our, uh, we're not instinctually attracted to them, and we're not physiologically adapted regardless of how, long you think we've been eating it and stuff like that and 
you know, I then when this guy was telling me he's on a carnivore diet, and uh, and I didn't answer him because it was too. He was obviously it, it, totally angry because he saw some of my other videos, and he could realize that I was I was telling people that plants were human food. Um, so he was uh, boasting that he's a carnivore. He has a carnivore diet, and I've told you many times that if you had a carnivore diet, uh, uh, I mean, I know you don't have one. Because if you had a carnivore diet, you just pick up a chicken, rip its head off, and start eating it alive. Or you just go over, you maybe you start eating the cow alive. Carnivores eat animals alive. Scavengers. Uh, omnivores. Will, well, omnivores will eat them alive, too. But scavengers, uh, like dogs, hyenas, um, wolves, uh, fox, uh, uh, raccoon, um, rat, uh, yeah, those are, yeah, they will, they, they prefer to eat the corpses. And that's what we do. When, when we, when humans eat <clears throat> animal flesh, it's usually corpses. And they don't usually eat the corpses the way they are, freshly killed, they uh, uh, like to apply heat to change the structure because um, they don't really like the structure of a, of, a, of a raw corpse. And so they change the structure with heat and then they put uh, condiments and uh, sauces and stuff like that. And they change the name. It's nuggets. It's uh, pork chops. It's beef. It's bacon. Uh, it's, uh, yeah. Anyway, so that's what you do, okay? Whatever kind of CFCs you have, I'm, it's not wherever they're from. There's only one kind. Wherever they're from, uh, if they're from the breast, from the colon, from the ovary, from the brain, wherever they are, you got to do the same thing. You got to get rid of the potential source, and we've talked about what the sources are. You, and then you got to live a healthy lifestyle. You've got to clean your colon, out, get it cleaned out. Go to a colon hydrotherapist twice a week for the first. Minimum eight to 12 weeks. Then once a week for the rest of your life, unless you want to do it once, twice a month. Um, and if you're eating really, really perfectly healthy food, you then can do it like once every two, three months. But anyway, you do that. You do a lymphatic therapist. You need to have your lymph moving. You need to be doing movements on your own, moving around every 90 minutes. You got to keep your, your blood flowing. You got to do resistance. You got to do uh, balancing. You got to do a lot of things like that for you to, to maintain your health. And you've got to learn to meditate, to stop thinking, right? And then you got to go to bed early. And you got to do that. And you got to have honest relationships. If you have a relationship where you're fine. <coughs> Finding that you have to be inauthentic, you have to lie, you have to uh, compromise, and it hurts you inside, then you need to change that uh, if you can. If you can, you need to find that. I'm, I'm talking about it can, this can be with a parent, with a child, with a friend, with a, a, a co-worker, a boss, um, a, a spouse, all right? Um, it's very, very difficult to change our relationships because we're were there for whatever reasons, and uh, it's very, very difficult. But they can be so toxic that they can be um, deadly, deadly. All right. So those are all the things you got to do, um, and then, and then you don't have to even worry what it's positive, negative. You don't have to go 
uh, uh, lo <clears throat> looking on the uh, on the uh, <coughs> excuse me on the um, internet for um, Milgenate. Okay, so now I got this is Kareen. I got diagnosed. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go past. Uh, uh, I just want to talk about this one, then we'll then we'll go past all these. Uh, okay, because there's enough about breast, but I got diagnosed with ER positive breast CFCs in April and finished all my treatments, chemo and radiation in October. Now I'm on tamoxifen, but I don't want to take it. Doctor said I should take it for the next ten years. <clears throat> I'm thirty. Thoughts? I'm also on a supplement plan and I eat very healthy pre post. CFCs. Okay. Kareen. Uh, yeah, good point. Uh, first of all, uh, you don't need tamoxifen. You know, the whole idea with, um, I, I, let me just give everyone this, and this is, this is kind of something that most people don't know, <clears throat> um, about estrogens, but, um, wait, that's my green tea. Wait a minute. Cold green tea. Anyway, so um, back in the 40s, um, it was found that, um, um, I think it was 1944 or 41 was one of the first studies, because uh, prior to that, what they would do is the treatment for estrogen or, or for breast CFCs was, uh, and I think ovarian as well, was a removal of all endocrine organs. So they would take out uh, that related to that. So they take out the ovaries, they take out the adrenal glands, and sometimes they took out the pituitary. Yeah. So anyway, then uh, someone, I don't know how they came up with this, but they uh, found that if they gave high dose, high dose estrogens, uh, that it actually worked fairly good, fairly well. And so they used diethylstilbestrol, right? And then I'm not sure if you recall them using that a lot. And then uh, unfortunately, um, uh, they gave birth, you know, it resulted in like uh, cancers or CFCs of the, of the vaginal area and, um, and offspring. So it was really turned out to be quite a, quite a terrible thing, diethylestilbestrol. They also used um, horse, horse estrogens and other ones. Anyway, they used high doses of synthetic estrogens and that suppressed uh, and resolved tumors a lot of time. Now imagine that, imagine that. The problem was, is that there were so many, and it, of course it was alpha, the alpha reset. Remember we talked about estrogen receptors, alpha and beta, and those, that's not just breast. Those are on your a bladder, the prostate, lung, colon, pancreas, so they're everywhere. And they're all responded to it. And, and no matter who you are, where you are, if you eat a lot of soy your whole life, you're risk of getting any CFC is much, much decreased. And if you get it, it's also going to decrease. I mean, keep, and you're eating it, it's going to decrease uh, the severity and all that. So it's, it's, a, it's an effective preventative and, and it's also a treatment. Yeah. So anyway, um, <coughs> um, so anyway, that was so that was it. So for advanced breast CFCs, they would use high doses of estrogen. Can you imagine that? And uh, 
I mean, it, it was pretty amazing. Now, um, they were giving high doses uh, of the diethylsilvestrol. And as I said, they were also giving equine or horse, and they were giving uh, uh, estradiol. Um, yeah. Um, now, the one, um, the one thing that um, they didn't use estriol, and that reason, and, I mean, they decided not to use estriol because of its short half-life when taken orally. So then they decided not to do it. That's crazy. Well, I would have said, well, hey, then let's figure out a way since estriol not only doesn't affect alpha, it shrinks things because it's a beta receptor agonist. Let's figure out a way. Let's get a patch. Let's get a whatever. Let's figure out a way to give it so that it's not metabolized so quickly so it stays around. But they didn't do that. And they could have done that. Um, but they don't think that way. Um, but anyway, so then what happened in in uh, uh, in the seventies? Oh, and by the way, this treatment was effective only in the po- postmenopausal women who had been postmenopausal for at least five years, or nowadays for women who are on ablative therapies. They've been on um, Lupron, or um, it's just something else. That's blocked their hormones completely. So if they've been hormone deficient for five years, uh, then this works pretty well. Okay. Um, And uh, anyway, so in the 1970s is when they came up with tamoxifen. And uh, they did did studies where they compared high dose to tamoxifen. And they had pretty much equal, pretty much equal effect. It's just that there were less side effects with the tamoxifen. So the side effects from the estrogen was uh, were always amenorrhea. So that would, <clears throat> if it was a premenopausal woman, it would stop her periods. If it was a postmenopausal woman, she would get some vaginal bleeding. Uh, it also caused, uh, I mean, a lot of things. The, the the areola and the nipples would get really uh, uh, hyperpigmented, dark. Uh, there sometimes would be leg swelling and you know, things like that. So they were the, you know, none of them were really uh, deadly um, effects, but they were much more frequent than with the tamoxifen. So they stuck with tamoxifen. And so tamoxifen became the first line of treatment for most most postmenopausal women with advanced. Um, But then again, back in the 1990s, they started looking at it again and they found that it, they found that it does work, the high dose estrogen. So they were working it, right? Um, and now there's been several clinical trials looking at diastosilbesterol, looking at the horse uh, estrogens, and looking at the uh, estradiol. All right, so. Um, anyway, there was, there was a lot of studies. I just wanted to, you know, to remind you. So now nowadays the treatments are letrozole and anastrozole and, and – um, Extemistane and things like that. You all know that, and um, uh, yeah. So they're all dealing with estrogen and blocking estrogen receptors, downregulating uh, estrogen receptors, and all that. And and they do that until what? Until it becomes refractory to that, where it no longer works. And they even with prostate, they're giving a giving here, and then they call it ah, oh, it's hormone resistant prostate uh, CFC. Now that's what they tell them. Uh, same with breast, and then they have to go to something else. So what they're saying now, so the conclusion is this: that after someone becomes <clears throat> uh, 
hormone resistant. In other words, they can't manipulate hormones anymore with tamoxifen and uh, letrozole and things like that because it's no longer working. Now, instead of doing chemotherapy, you could do high-dose estrogens. It sounds bizarre. Now, the thing is, there, they, 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 there was two kinds of um, you know, theories about this. Um, uh, what did they call it? One, they called it a uh, the estrogen paradox. Because the paradox was, is in lower doses, it actually stimulated growth. And in higher doses, it caused apoptosis to shrink. So that was the paradox. And then the other thing was the, uh, the gap. Was that the gap? I can't remember. Anyway, there was a couple of other uh, uh, theories on, on, on why it worked. They're not really too sure. Um, but, you know, I, 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 think, I think what happens when you give anything high dose, what happens? You, uh, yeah, when you give anything high dose, you suppress the body's normal functioning in that area. That's how birth control pills work, right? Okay. So uh, anyway, so what I'm saying is I don't think you need to be on tamoxifen at all. Um, there are other, I would be eating a lot of soy, soy all day long. Uh, you need to be eating flaxseed. It's going to downregulate alpha receptors. Um, you need to be eating, um, uh, and remember, if I was a, a chia, <clears throat> you know, chia, so you can get all, because whenever anybody's got CFCs, what we have to do is we have to be able to get the cellular voltage up to minus 70 millivolts. And the only way you can do that is by having strong membranes. And those membranes are 50% fat, phospholipids, and they're made from what? Whatever fats you've eaten. Okay, so the fats you've eaten are going to determine, uh, are, are, going to, are going to contribute to your nutrient pool. Okay, so um, so you got to eat healthy fats. What are healthy fats? Chia seeds, flax seeds, hemp seeds, uh, nuts and seeds, all of that, avocado, um, coconut oil. All those are healthy fats, are fats for us, uh, we humans, okay? Yeah. Zero unhealthy fats and at least 60% of your diet. Okay, and you do that for a while because it takes about nine months at 60, 70% fat for you to uh, change the basic impedance so that you're having, so that your cell membranes, because remember, you're making 37 million new cells per second. You, me, him, her, them, 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 they, yeah. <clears throat> them, um, uh, 37 million new cells per second, um, and they're being made out of what? Well, whatever I've eaten, all right? So do you want your new cells to be made from KFC or uh, Pizza Hut? Probably not. So anyway, now you get really strong membranes. You can get, you can get that cellular voltage up to 70, and you do that, and it's all gone. Am I just saying that? No. Is there proof? Yes. What am I talking about cellular voltage? I'm talking about electrons. Remember electrons? Uh, we're, uh, okay. Sun, plant, electrons. We're electromagnetic, right? Right, right, right. Uh, for example, 
You want to know how my heart is? You got to listen with a stethoscope. And then you're going to do an EKG and you're going to look at the waveform, the electrical waveform. And there's a flat line. We have a problem. Same with the brain. You have all kinds of stuff going on. Flat line. We have a problem. Muscles. <clears throat> I used to have <clears throat> muscles. EM. <clears throat> you do an EMG, electromyogram. Again, you're looking at the electrical pattern. So everything that is alive has an electrical pattern. Okay, the flow of electrons. And when those flows, when that flow stops, life is over. Okay, that's it. So we are elect elect electromagnetic. And what are what is electricity? Flow of electrons. Okay. So um anyway, alkalinity is what? Alkaline means there's excess electrons that can be donated. What is antioxidant? Excess electrons that can be donated. Uh, and what is voltage, the measure of the electrons in of something. Okay, so when I talk about intracellular voltage, we're talking about alkalinity, and we're talking about antioxidant. We're, in other words, talking about electron-rich. Um, what happens when you take your shoes off and you stand on the ground, grounding, earthing, grounding, earthing? Um, you're getting the electrons. You're getting filled with electrons, okay? When you're petting an animal, when you're hugging a person, when you're eating food that hasn't been um, cooked, when you're um, uh, out in nature, and, and you know, and uh, you know, and you're touching plants and trees, um, you're near a water, you're near a river, or you're near the ocean, it's just full of electrons. Okay, all of that stuff. All right. Now, um, so that's the idea of the cyst. I would also remember this. I think cysts anywhere are probably uh, parasites. Otherwise, why would you have a fluid-filled sac in an organ? You've got some cysts in your uh, uh, kidney. You've got some cysts in your bladder. You've got some cysts in your liver. You've got some cysts in your ovaries. How? Something's causing it. Um, let me see. No, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let's, let's go. Um, All right, uh, uh, prostate. My husband, uh, this is from Lisa Marie. Uh, my my husband had prostate CFC in March of 22. <clears throat> had his prostate removed, found one lymph node that had CFCs, very tiny. Removed all lymph nodes in that area. Every three months, PSA has been less than 0 0.05. And most recently was 0 0.05. Less than was missing. <clears throat> Doc said something is going on, but not sure what. Did his CFC return, or is it possible for there to be prostate cells floating around? I'm so scared for my husband, my childhood sweetheart. He is only 54. <clears throat> okay. He's got to do everything that we talked about. You got to do the dental thing. You got to get rid of the parasites. He's got to stop eating animals. I'm telling you, just, you know especially with prostate, all of them, you know. Um, you got to eat lots of soy, lots of flax, 
uh, go to bed early, move around, exercise, get his testosterone back up over 550. Okay. So if it's lower than 550, um, he's got to get back up. They removed it. As you can see, what they did didn't work. They took off the, you know, they took out the prostate. Okay. We're done, right? No, it's in a lymph node. Well, of course it's in a lymph node. That's what lymph nodes are for. Lymph nodes are there to, uh, <clears throat> to assess the contents of, of all the tissue beds in our body and determine whether or not a, an immune response is required. So they removed a lot of lymph nodes in that area. You know, that that's like, you know, they should be arrested. That's not cool. Oh, yeah, by the way, we took out uh, 85 lymph nodes. Well, uh, put them back, dude. Where am I? Where, 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 where? Wait, wait, wait. My... My husband thinks that flax is bad for male hormone. No, no, no. Flax is not bad for male hormone. Flax is uh, like soy, it's phytoestrogen. And um, it binds to the beta receptor, which shrinks tumors. Um, and it's not going to affect his testosterone at all at all. It's going to make him healthier and it's going to decrease his chance of getting any CFCs anywhere. So it's really, really good. And it's going to give him very much needed healthy fats. So very, very important. Very, very important. Now, um, what I, what I wanted to talk about for a second, um, I saw a question here. And uh, anyway, I can't, I can't, I can't find it right now. But uh, it has to do with sugar, and I just wanted, I wanted to try to uh, clear the air a little bit about sugar because uh, and fruit, okay? Because this is a subject that a lot of people are are confused about. Because um, some people are because there was a recent study. Let me see what am I seeing there? Huh? Okay. There was a recent study. Uh, I not, not yeah. What about a year ago? Was it a year ago now? Um, remember that study where um, they looked at a tumor and they looked at the uh, and they found out that it wasn't the actual malignant cells that were eating. Uh, uh, they were eating sugar. Yes. Yeah. They were eating glucose, but they found that the immune cells around it were eating more. So a greater amount of the glucose was being picked up by that. And so some people concluded that, well, therefore, glucose, that's OK. Well, it's not because still the one metabolic hallmark of CFCs, cancer. Okay, you forgot. If anybody forgot, we're talking about that. CFCs, the one metabolic hallmark. All right, there's no genetic hallmark. There's no like one specific gene. If this gene is mutated, then you're going to have CFCs. No, nothing to do with it. But there is one metabolic hallmark that uh, is required, is necessary in order for there to be CFCs. And that's called the Warburg effect. And that means aerobic glycolysis means what? It means that even in the presence of oxygen, the cell is going to ferment. 85% of its energy will come from fermentation. That's called the Warburg effect, okay? So regardless of what they found, that's that those cells are still requiring that amount of glucose. Um, now, if they become glutamine, 
dependent, then you can change that a little bit, that ratio. But they'll still be using glucose. Uh, now, so yes, the immune cells in the tumor microenvironment were using glucose. Yes, they were. They need more than anybody. They're really uh, glucose hogs. But remember, all of the immune cells in the tumor microenvironment are part of the tumor. They're making it grow. They're called tumor-associated macrophages, tumor-associated uh, neutrophils, uh, tumor-associated dendritic cells and macrophages. When they get in there, they're now working for the tumor. They're no, so they're part of the process of the tumor growing. Because the tumor exists, consists of malignant cells um, and immune cells and, uh, uh, you know, like uh, a cytoskeleton, a, um, uh, kind of like a nest, you know, um, uh, collagen and, uh, you know, and other, 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 other uh, uh, tissues like that. Okay. And those are made, uh, it, most of that is made by little cells, uh, uh, cells in the, in all tissues of our body called fibroblasts. And when a fibroblast is in the environment of a tumor where it's low as a uh, high acid and low oxygen. Okay. That's the tumor microenvironment. It becomes a tumor associated macrophage. So again, it's working for the tumor. So all of these cells are, that are in the tumor um, microenvironment are part of the tumor. Okay. But just in regards to sugar, um, there was a, a very interesting case-controlled study that they did where they looked at Chinese, Japanese, and Fil Filipino people um, in California and Hawaii. <coughs> and they found out that the ones that were born in the United States had a 60% higher risk of breast CFCs than those born in Asia. Okay. And then also they found that the Asian American women born in the United States, even though all four of their grandparents were born in Asia, so the genetics were Asian, they had rates similar to Caucasian women living in the United States. And we have, we have seen this before. So in other words, when people immigrate, the first generation that immigrates over usually has a... Uh, CFC profile and also, you know, high blood pressure and heart and similar to the place that they immigrated from, whereas the second generation has it from there. So the it's not genetic because the genetic is still the genetic. Four grandparents from Japan or China produce a child. Two child, four grandparents, the two uh, the parents. And the child are all the same ethnic ethnicity, so it's not genetic. Okay, it's environmental. And what's the most uh, biggest part of the environment other than uh, the amount of nano aluminum that you're breathing in, and in addition to all the inorganic and uh, all, all the other chemicals and stuff, it's the food. So anyway, anyway, I just wanted you to, to get that. So. Uh, now, in low and middle income countries, okay, uh, which they used to call third world, uh, they uh, 
they used to have CFCs that were related to um, uh, microorganisms such as uh, Epstein Barr, which would could could uh, could result in or, or contribute to uh, Burkett's lymphoma, could contribute to nasopharyngeal CFCs. Right, that's very prevalent in Chinese people, um, and uh, or for example, uh, the hepatitis uh, A, uh, B, and C. Uh, were related to liver CFCs, and uh, uh, of course, the um, HPV was related to cervical uh, and not only cervical CFA, CFCs, but rectal CFCs and nasal nasopharyngeal CFCs and stuff. So they were that, but they didn't have what are called lifestyle CFCs, such as breast, prostate, colon, pancreas. Okay. <clears throat> so, anyway, uh, what's interesting, and not interesting, but what's of note is that since cervical CFC used to be the leading cause of death among women in lower mid, middle income, breast has surpassed it. Everybody, I talk, I talk to people all every day from all over the world. And I'd say at least 60% of the people I talk to at least... It has to do with breast. It's just, talk about a pandemic. So anyway, so what they found, well, in the study they did, they, they did they, this was actually some, several studies. Um, and uh, by the way, they, they, they say that by 2040, that the, uh, the incidence, the global incidence should increase by 40%. And it's estimated that two thirds of them will be in the low to middle in- income countries and that's why because they still have the infectious related and now they've they, we've exported america has successfully uh, metastasized exported all of its um um its dietary habits and its uh, louis vuitton and all that stuff to uh to the west oh kapumaka Oh, this is great. Kappa Ma Um The, uh, yeah, okay. So what did they find? What was their finding? Now, I want you to hear this. Please listen and hear this in the context that when you or your loved one has gone to your oncologist and you said to them, should I do anything about my diet? Should I change my diet? And they will tell you, no. They say that diet has nothing to do with it. And if, but this study here, which came out of what? What did it come out of? I mean, it's a, it's a, a, a prestigious journal, anyway. They found out that changing diets, including the consumption of fast foods, Highly processed foods and excess sugar consumption hypothesized as causative factors in increasing incidence in these low and middle income. Okay. So what they did was they did a meta-analysis. They looked at 24 different studies, different clinical studies, and they analyzed the findings from them. So they found that in 22 of them where they controlled for BMI, you know, body mass index, you know, so that's weight and height. In other words, they didn't, they uh, controlled for that meant that uh 
you know, like for example, if someone in this group, they matched. So this one, someone in this group had a body BMI of, uh, of a certain percentage and this one did too. So in other words, they, they matched them so that that what, so that the BMI didn't have any effect. Okay. So they looked at things like BMI as well as uh, smoking and other kinds of things. And they just wanted to see what would happen between the association of sugar consumption. Um, and they found the final statistical conclusion was that um, they found a, uh, they found association between sugar consumption and CFC outcomes. And these were independent of whether or not they smoked, independent of whether or not they had, they had other uh, negative factors in their lifestyle. Okay. Um, so that, that, so that's pretty important because sugar in and of itself, and I'm going to get to the fructose in a minute. So when we talk about sugar, we're talking about usually glucose, but there's also fructose, right? Right. And in fact, when you put glucose and fructose together, you get what's called sucrose. You've all heard of sucrose. Sucrose is a disaccharide. Glucose is a monosaccharide and, um, fructose is a monosaccharide. Okay. So, um, So anyway, so there was a case control study in the U.S. that women under age 45 who consumed sweets, that was 9.8 times per week or more, experienced a significantly higher breast CFCs than those who consumed sweets less than 2.8 times per week. Under 45 women. Okay, so there was a definite, definite, and they controlled for everything else, how many children they had, the ages. In other words, they matched them on all those things. Okay. Now, so the sugar intake was also found to be um, associated with increased not only risk of CFCs in a specific part of the body, but it, in the amount of sugar was directly correlated to all-cause mortality, whether or not they they died from a heart attack, heart attack, stroke, whatever, what, after they were um, uh, diagnosed, all right? Now, with how about with colorectal, right, CFCs, colon CFCs, okay? Um, they did a, and there's a prospective cohort study of colon CFC patients who consumed two, consumed two or more servings per day of a sugary drink. They had an increased risk of 75% than those who didn't, who had less than two. Okay. Same with pancreatic, pancreatic CFCs. Okay. So we're not just breast, not just colon, pancreatic. So a strong body of evidence suggests that a sucrose and or fructose filled diet is associated with increased risk of, of, of pancreatic CFCs. So they did a meta-analysis again, where they took 10 different studies and they looked at the results from them. They made some conclusions, some overall conclusions from them. And they found an association between fructose consumption and pancreatic CFCs. Fructose, okay, right? Fructose, which comes from fruit and honey, right? So what they found in this study was that um, there were... Um, High glycemic load and fructose intake were strongly associated with pancreatic CFC in overweight women. 
uh, in the American Journal of, Clin of Clinical Nutrition, published in 20, 2007, dietary glycemic load mean, means how much uh, 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 glucose you were getting in your, in your diet. Added sugars and carbohydrates were a direct risk for pancreatic CFCs. Okay. And they did this. It was multi-ethnic. They had 162,000 people, right? Um, and they were, um, uh, it was in, it was in LA and they were multi-ethnic. There was a significant association found with fruit and, and, uh, fruit juice intake. Okay. And it was not only the pancreas, the colon and the breast, but it was <coughs> also esophageal. CFCs, um, small intestines, intestinal CFCs, uh, uh, leukemia, um, pancreas, ovary, <coughs> and prostate, 58% increase in prostate. So, and the other, another uh, two, 2019 study uh, published in Science showed that um, the high fructose corn syrup enhanced intestinal tumor growth, independent of weight gain. So whether or not they gained weight, just eating the high fructose corn syrup was, uh, uh, had a significant you know, uh, effect on uh, developing CFCs, okay? Now, it's interesting because um, when they stopped, when when they put people on diets that were lower than that, they found that they not only lost weight, but they lost liver fat. You know, people get fatty livers. They lost visceral fat, which is the fat around the organs, um, and they decreased the amount of uh, of uh, fat they make. Now, you know, when you eat glucose, when you eat sugar, you're first of all, the insulin is going to make sure that it gets into your cells, so your cells can use it for energy. Now, the excess. The insulin causes it to um, produce, turn into um, fat. It's called lipogenesis. It causes fat formation. Well, it turns out that fructose does that even quicker. Fructose will increase fat formation. Yeah. Now, another another thing to add to the idea of fructose and all that is that. Um, um, I don't know if you've all heard of the metabolic syndrome. They used to call it syndrome X, but you know, it has to do with um, uh, uh, high triglycerides, high density lipoproteins, high blood pressure, all this stuff, uh, diabetes and all of the, and they call it syndrome X, metabolic syndrome X. Um, but it is, uh, the reason they're calling it a syndrome was because all of those conditions we talked about, the triglycerides, um, the, um, uh, the high blood pressure, fat, high fasting glucose, all those things are related to, to diet. And you only need three out of the five to, to be diagnosed. Anyway, it turns out that there's a significant relationship between having metabolic syndrome and developing CFCs. Significant, all right? And we're not just talking about uh, this metabolic syndrome doesn't just do that. It also has a great effect on a cardiovascular, diabetes, cognitive disorders, and lots of different CFCs, breast, liver, pancreas, colon, and, and uh, uterine. So why does this happen? Why does fructose affect fruit? Why does fruit affect 
CFCs. <coughs> okay, there's a, re, uh, <clears throat> you may have heard of, uh, we have receptors on the cells that pick up glucose. We have receptors for everything. And if we don't have a receptor, we're not going to pick it up. All right. Testosterone receptors, estrogen receptors, um, thyroid receptors. We have, we have receptors. Okay. So um, vitamin C, we have receptors um, uh, that it's actually the sodium ascorbate receptors. And we have them all over. We have them in our every cell, every organ. Um, we have them. Um, but we also have uh, sugar receptors, okay? And they're called GLUT, L-G-L-U-T, GLUT1 through 7 or 8. Okay, so GLUT1 and 3 and 4 are pretty much glucose, all right? And, and the GLUT1 is usually upregulated in lots of CFCs, conditions of CFCs. Well, GLUT5 is specifically for fructose. GLUT5 is the, is the uh, fructose receptor. And GLUT5 is not on every organ, every cell. Um, you know, it's, it's uh, significant in the lots of different organs, especially the, the, the obviously the small intestines. So you, you can absorb it. Now, it turns out that um, the GLUT5 gets upregulated. In other words, there's more of it in women with breast CFCs. Now, women with don't have breast CFCs ha don't have it, don't have it, don't have GLUT5 there. So it gets upregulated. All right, that's very important. So why is that so important? Because GLUT5 is going to pick up the, uh, the fructose and, and use it for energy. Now, what's interesting, when they were doing studies, they were putting the, they were taking even cells that were um, not, didn't have a GLUT5 upregulated and exposing it to lots of fructose and it upregulated and now it became, uh, now it was picking it up at a quicker rate. All right, so, um, and, and this was true of colon, lung, breast, ovarian, leukemia, and gliomas in the brain. Okay, and if they developed the GLUT5 upregulation, it was associated with a poorer prognosis and poorer survival. So when we used to notice at, uh, at our center, um, I mean, back in the early 2000s, we were, we were seeing this, um, that people who ate a lot of fruit didn't do as well. And there's going to be someone out there who's going to say, no, no, my, I know the so-and-so who ate only fruit or something. Yeah, there, there will be, there will be um, cases of anything's possible. I mean, somebody, you know, somebody could say, I only ate steaks. All, all I ate, didn't eat anything else. And I got better. That, you know, we're, we're going to find anything. We're going to find that. But we're talking about in, in general, and I'm talking about the physiology, the biochemistry, the, um, 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 of CFCs. Okay, so we know that the overexpression of GLUT5 is associated with a poor outcome, and you're going to pick up a lot of fructose. And you can decrease the overexpression by not having any fructose. So, um, another, there's a study published in 2021. Uh, GLUT5 enables fructose-mediated proliferation independent of ketohexokinase. 
you don't need to know that. Uh, but uh, anyway, the point is this. Sugar, glucose, or fructose. Now, what's the difference between glucose and fructose biologically? Well, the glucose, when we get, when our glucose, blood glucose level goes up from what we've eaten, it stimulates our body, our pancreas to produce insulin. However, fructose does not stimulate that. Now, since CFCs have more insulin receptors, then when you use, when, when you're eating glucose, you're actually preferentially feeding the, um, uh, the CFCs because they have more receptors. So if you eat fructose, it doesn't preferentially feed them because it doesn't stimulate uh, insulin. However, if cells have up, um, of overexpressed have more of the GLUT5 receptor, they're going to pick up lots of glucose, uh, lots of fructose, and they're going to yeah have a lot of energy and grow and all that. So anyway. <coughs> excuse me so the question is can i eat fruit can i eat um yeah can i eat fruit and honey and the answer is yeah but let's do it in the low glycemic so we all know what the low glycemic fruits are right um berries green apples uh the green kiwi not the yellow kiwi. We know that. We know um, uh, you know, some oranges are very low. Uh, sour grapes, for sure. Lemon, grapefruit. Okay, and remember, when you're eating fruit, don't eat a lot, but eat, eat it alone. Don't eat it with another meal. If you eat fruit before as an appetizer, and then you eat food, or you eat it as a dessert, What's going to happen is it's going to mix with the food and the, uh, it will get uh, delayed in its uh, assimilation, digestion assimilation, and it will wind up fermenting and you won't get the value of it. And you could even make alcohol and other things. So um, it's fruit is best eaten alone. And, um, you know, and then, uh, of course, melons, if you eat melons, they're eaten alone. You don't eat them with fruit, but you wouldn't want to eat a melon at this point if you have CFCs for now. Okay, so here's another um, question here. Nicole says, does red light therapy make CFCs more aggressive? Not, not at all. It's the opposite. Here, we are so excited. We were able to book a consultation with you December 15th. We sent in a question as well last week. 39-year-old woman with 12-centimeter mass. And her liver, 6.2 mass, and her pancreas. I have been hammer, hammering this back with a ton of your suggested natural protocols, diet, and actually urine therapy we just added in last week. It has also been making me feel amazing, and I believe it's working miracles. I will be going on your anti-parasitic protocol this coming week after I completed my liver flush this week. I believe I am going to be well with a beautiful story to share. God is with the great healer. My questions are, can you please tell me what our Rife machine would you recommend and what frequencies you focus on and what are your thoughts on brown gas? What blood test markers do I need to get done to see that my liver processing, processing all of the antiparasitic fungal thing? Also, I want to thank you as much 
Yeah. Very good. Okay. So, well, you have a lot of questions there. So, um, the, the uh, uh, Rife machine. Uh, there's a couple one. There's the uh, what is it? The GB four thousand, and there's another one called the uh, Squeaky or what's it, what's it called? Anybody know? Anybody know what's it called? How did we end up here? Who are you? How did we end up here? Whoa. Uh, anyway. Uh, um, now, the frequencies, there's a lot of different frequencies. The, the problem with CFCs is that they're anywhere from 20,000 up to 400,000. So what what you do with the Rife machine is you have a you have it sweep over an hour all all of the frequencies because the, what Rife had what Royal Raymond Rife had which made his um, uh, treatment so amazing and why he got uh, he helped sixteen terminally ill people uh, go into hundred uh, percent remission all of them hundred you know hundred um, percent was that he had a special microscope that could measure the frequency coming from that person, from that from those CFCs. And when he measured that thing, you, there's two ways you can deal with when you know the frequency. You can either send in the same frequency, which means they'll double and burst, or you can send in the opposite frequency, which means you got waveforms and you, it just flattens it out. So either double or the opposite, and uh, you eliminate that. So he was able to do that. He had a special microscope with quartz uh, lenses. It was made in Germany, and he was able to um, uh, magnify up to 60,000 times, which is, you know, a, a normal microscope is 2,500 times. So he was seeing things that we, we don't see in the other microscopes. Um, and, but, and he was able to measure the frequencies. Therefore, he only had to... Put them in front of the machine for three minutes every other day, and ninety percent of them were one hundred percent gone. The, the, there's no CFCs within three months, and the and then the other two it took another uh, fifteen weeks, twenty weeks, but all sixteen. Yeah, but that's because he had the frequency. So we don't have the freak. We don't have a way of measuring it now. There are some people that are using sound and they're the to, to, to measure it. Um, but uh, yeah, and then you'd have to use sound waves going back. So it's, you could do a similar type of thing with it, with sound. Um, and sound is a very powerful, powerful uh, tool. But right now what we're talking about with Rife is these um, uh, electromagnetic frequencies. So, uh, Anyway, that's what we have to do. Now, uh, with any machine you get, what's that one called? Is it, anybody know? No, I, my, someone here says I could have used a gluten intolerance. Uh, no, I have, it's kind of, I got kind of a, uh, what they call a cold, but as you know, colds are just, uh, uh, what we call colds are just getting rid of toxins. I've been, <clears throat> I was in Japan and family wound up, overeating i've been eating more cooked food than i normally do so it's just that's just the consequence of that um uh hydrogen water is okay what is the question here is what is hydrogen Hi, I, 
hydrogen, we're talking about molecular hydrogen. Molecular hydrogen uh, is the smallest molecule in the universe. It penetrates all cells, doesn't need carriers or um, receptors or anything like that. When it gets in there, it, it uh, when it mixes, when it hits a OH negative hydroxyl radical, which is spooky, that's it, thank you, was the name of that Rife machine, the second one, the spooky. Yeah, the... Uh, when the H2 gas gets in there and hits a, a hydroxyl radical, it turns it into H2O, which is water. So it's a specific neutralizer of the hydroxyl radical, which is the biochemical. Um, um, it's an intermediate, uh, and it's also an end product, uh, and it needs to be neutralized because otherwise it causes extreme damage. All right. So, yeah. Um, and uh, so... Um, that was part of the question. What else? What blood test markers do I need to get done to see if my liver is processing the antiparasitics? You don't have to worry. Now, if you did, if you had hepatitis prior or you had really high liver enzymes prior to starting the uh, uh, antiparasitic protocol, then you probably have to really adjust the dosages. But most people don't. And what you have to know is that when you take the antiparasitic medications, all of them, you will get an elevation in liver enzymes. So don't even measure. Don't worry about it because they're going to go up. And then that's why you're taking a week off. They're going to go down and go up and they're going to go down. They're going to go up and they're going to go down. Remember, the reason why you, 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 you ignore them is because the liver will regenerate. Okay. It's the most regenerative organ in our, in the human body. You can cut out two thirds and it grows back. Okay. But you can't take your eye off the ball. The ball is getting rid of these parasites because they do several things. Number one, they can directly cause a, uh, 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 an organ to produce CFCs, okay, directly. Um, uh, bladder, urogenital uh, area, um, breast, brain, I mean, uh, all, lung, they can do that. Number two. One of the strategies they have to survive is by them uh, modifying the immune system so it can't see them. Well, it also can't see the CFCs, so it helps the CFCs. So they have both an indirect and a direct way. Plus, they're also, when they're in, 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 your, um, in your body, they cause your, um, uh, the cells in your gut to... Um, Uh, I'm sorry, and that's a, the, uh, the the microorganisms to get out of balance. So you wind up getting a dysbiosis. And uh, what we know about dysbioses is that uh, there are specific dysbioses associated with each type of CFC. So people with breast CFCs will have a specific kind of dysbiosis. That means uh, a relative proportion of different organisms, colon, uh, CFCs will be different. Pancreatic CFCs, thyroid will be different. So that's in. So the interesting thing about that is, could we just simply do fecal transplants and actually change the course of these things? I mean, I think it's definitely worth doing. Anyway, checking your liver enzymes is what you're talking about. Your AST and ALT. Um. They'll go up and down. They'll go up and down. And, uh, you know, unless you started really high, there's no reason to check them. If you started high, then you need to be working with uh, some sort of um, um, 
practitioner that's able to monitor you and all that to see if you need to cut down on them or something like that. Um, anyway, um, uh, Stacy, you're very welcome. My, my, my pleasure and honor to, to, uh, do what I'm doing. I'm just lucky to be here. And you're right. God is the healer. That's why we can never take credit for it. Never take credit for it. Uh, so that was Stacy. Let's see what else. Uh, whoops. Yeah. Okay. So is New Zealand honey acceptable? It has so much research on health benefits. Absolutely. I mean, it's probably, you know, any, uh, yeah, you know, and then there are other honeys that are really, really uh, healing and they're good to put on wounds and all sorts of things. The problem is the fructose and the fructose will be picked up by uh, uh, certain uh, cells. That's, that's certain CFCs and used as fuel. And I wish it wasn't true, but it is. So here's the thing, though. And this is an important concept, so please listen carefully and see if you can understand it. Um, it's not hard to understand, but it's just different than what most people think. Um, whatever is necessary for a CFC to be healthy and grow, the same thing is necessary for normal cells, non-CFCs. So glucose and glutamine are the two main fuel sources for CFCs, but they're also for healthy cells. Not only are they fuel sources, they also serve as part of the biosynthetic apparatus mechanisms. So, for example, glucose becomes the carbon backbone for our body's ability to make cholesterol and to make fatty acids and things like that, and other and amino acids and stuff. And the glutamine get puts in addition to being a Fuel source also adds the nitrogen to make other amino acids, to make uh, nucleotides, nucleosides, um, which is genetic material and um, and other things. So, uh, yeah, and it's not just in CFCs, it's all cells, right? So we need those. Um, and it turns out that glutamine is also the primary fuel source for the um, cells in our small intestines that are necessary for appropriate absorption and digestion and all that, which is essential to being able to, to be healthy. Uh, glutamine is also the primary fuel source for our lymphocytes, which are the cells that ultimately are going to eliminate CFCs. So you see, you can't get rid of it, and you shouldn't. And you can't anyway, because it's called a non-essential amino acid, which means our body will make it if it has all of the essential amino acids. So our body's making it regardless of what we eat it. Same with glucose. Our body will make glucose if we're not eating at all, which is why when I've done, I've had people that, that, uh, on 41 day water fast, on day 41, we do a um, finger stick and glucose is normal. So you, know, you can't get rid of them. So what, are, what, what, the, what the conclusion uh, you would have from all of this is that Instead of trying to figure out that which is not, that which is impossible to figure out. Why? Because we were designed all by, everything was designed by 
a divine intellect that is beyond our comprehension. I mean, imagine 36 septillion chemical reactions all happening in a, perfectly so that you have this end result of a, of a person or a fly or a dog. And it's, it's, you, have to, you can imagine if there's too much of this, it goes that way. If there's not enough, it's what? Okay. Now, what can comprehend that? What, who, what, what mind can look at that and understand it? None. Not even a computer. I don't care how fast the computer is. It certainly couldn't control metabolism. It can it can put in blocks here and there. I mean, you know, and that's what we try to do with our ignorance and arrogance. We think that we're going to go into all of these the incredible biochemical uh, dance, divine dance, and we're going to say, you know what? I think we got to stop. We got to put our we got if we stop this one thing, we're going to fix it. No, that's not how nature works. Okay. You can throw three or four boulders in the river and it's going to go around them. Um, so wouldn't it be better than try fighting the river? Then wouldn't it be better to jump on the river and go for a ride? Yeah. That's what we're trying to do. Use the energy of it. Could you please provide a link that will show your parasite program? You know what I'm going to do? Uh, uh, this this week, maybe even today, when I finish with you guys, uh, I'm going to do a um, uh, what do you call it? Like a uh, oh, I should do that as a webinar form. Okay, I'll set it up for anyway. So everybody, so whoever wants to join it, and I'm going to do this long PowerPoint presentation to go over parasites completely. Okay, uh, completely, and then after that. Uh, I'm going to be working with um, another healer who lives in uh, the U.S., in Nebraska. Uh, and she and I are going to um, um, do a series of um, uh, specific, I guess, webinar, not webinars, whatever. I don't know what the term is, uh, with everyone who wants to sign up uh, for on Parasites. And then we're going to try to figure out a way that we can get y'all to get the, to get the anti-parasitic medications because um, some you can get online and some you can't. And there are pharmacies in the U.S. that will um, 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 fill a prescription that uh, we write because these are a lot. It's a lot. No, most pharmacies will say, "Oh my God, that's too much." Um, And if you ask them why it's too much, they're going to say, well, because it says so. Right. And if it says so, I mean, it, you know what it is. Oh, my God. It is the consensus of the experts. Oh, yeah. Now, who is the experts work for? Oh, I see. Well, OK, so this is Jessica. And she's talking about female hair loss. And she says, just wondering what may be the root cause of female hair, hair loss, female pattern baldness. <clears throat> is it genetic? My mother also has it. I've had labs done multiple times over the years, and the dermatologist always says my blood work is normal and diagnosed me with androgenic alopecia. I've tried everything from shampoo, supplements, 
I'm 45 years old and I've always had thin hair, thin, fine hair, but really started losing more in the crown area in my early 30s. Is it hormonal, perimenopausal? Is there anything we can even truly help? Well, if your uh, dermatologist is causing causing an androgenic alopecia, you know, that's really what men get. Um, usually women don't get that. Um, and we see it in older women. They start to get, some older women start to get that. Um, and it's the, uh, anyway, so, so it's the effect of the, um, uh, the androgen. Androgens, you know, are usually called male hormones, but men and women have them. Um, uh, and they, uh, and when they, like, for example, male pattern baldness, men, you, you lose back here or up here, right? Like that. Um, now if a, if a woman got the same, um, had the same, um, effect that the husband gets or that her brother would get from the, cause they both have the same parents, it would still be in that pattern. It would be, it would be in that pattern. Um, so, but women are protected long, as long as they're, um, they're, uh, they're menstruating and they have good cycles, you know, cause the estrogens and progesterone is protecting that and they, but they, uh, when they lose that protection, then they can get it. Also women wind up having more, um, it depends on the woman, but, uh, when a woman goes through menopause and her ovaries are no longer producing, uh, estrogen, uh, the only estrogen she gets is from the androgens that are produced in her adrenal gland and they get converted into estrogen. Um, uh, so, and they'll like more in the breast because there's more fat in the breast um, or more um, in different areas. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, for you, it sounds like, now you said your mother had it also. You mean thin hair or when you say, so you're losing some in the, in the, in the crown. <coughs> if it is androgenic, then you, you know, you can use salt palmetto um, and you can use um, uh, biotin, you know, which is a part of the uh, B, B vitamin complex. Um, you know, those have been, you know, standard for helping um, somewhat. Uh, I've never seen them do much, uh, much, really. Um, but how old are you now? You're 45. Um and then the other, you know, the other thing is you want to make sure you don't have any toxins in your body. So you can do a toxic panel. You know, there's a Vibrant Labs has a, a, a toxic panel. You can look at, see what you've been exposed to. Are you being exposed to anything more? And then you always, with hair loss, you've always got to look at your thyroid function because the thyroid is, uh, you know, it's one of the signs of, of, um, of the thyroid dysregulation is hair loss. Um, and so I would definitely look at all that. You just need to get a good, uh, functional, um, uh, practitioner. Um, now make sure they're smart because most, most are not, um, tragically, uh, we've got to change the name from functional medicine to fashionable medicine because they do things that are in fashion 
and they don't really understand why they're doing it. They don't do the research into it and all that. So you want to find someone who's not fashionable, but really functional. In other words, and functional is just the word they gave to um, a, a way of legitimizing alternative medicine and giving people some basic uh, uh, some basic standards. And those standards are looking at blood tests uh, in a more functional way rather than, I don't know how normal doc, regular doctors look at, I don't even know what they're looking at. I, I don't. I don't know because I know they don't think so. I know that, but um, functional doctors think most of them. But again, not always. So get a good one and 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 find it out. I'm not sure where you live, Jessica. Um, uh, but you can look in the look on 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 the on the internet for um, you know functional doctors. They have. Um, uh, you know, naturopaths. I've been very disappointed with a lot of naturopaths. Um, there's some excellent ones, of course. Uh, my hero of all here of all doctors, of all doctors, my hero, the one that I learned the most from was a naturopath. His name was uh, Herbert M. Shelton. So I, you know, but um. You know, find uh, find someone. Look in the and then uh, you're gonna have to to ask them. Say on the phone or ask someone. Say, what do you do with what? Well, what would you do with this? What? How would you work this up? What would you do? You can ask them before you actually work with them. Don't just work with someone and then when you're disappointed with the results, change. You can ask them before. Okay. Now, are you perimenopausal? That I don't think that would be it. Is it hormonal? Well, you have to look at all those things, absolutely, and you have to look at thyroid. So you look at all your hormones. You make sure you're, uh, you, you look and see what toxins are in you. Then you detoxify. And then you, in the meanwhile, meantime, you can use things like salt and metal um, or, and, um, and biotin and the other B vitamins. And, um, and, you know, make sure that you're well-nourished. You have lots of zinc. You have all your minerals and, you know, all that. Uh, and then stress, that's another one. You can lose, but usually stress-related hair loss comes in. Um, it's not like the whole, whole, the whole head, right? It'll be in little patches. Alopecia areata, they call it. And um, I remember when I was a, a conventional doctor, what we uh, were told to do was inject those areas with uh, steroids. Can you imagine how insane that is? Uh Anyway, so that's that. Uh, what time is it? Oh my God, it's after. Okay, time to go. Oh, I don't want. There's so many here. But anyway, we did an iodine test on my daughter to see if she was low. Turned black. What does that mean? Uh, I, I she put iodine on her skin and it turned black. Um, I I I I really don't know. I've never heard of that. Um. But that's not the way to test. Don't just assume, unless you're eating seaweed all day, you've got an iodine deficiency. Just get iodorol or get Lugol's 12.5 milligrams orally. Then you're going to have to adjust your thyroid like we've talked about before. All right? And uh, Okay, here's a last question. Hey, Dr. Lodi, I, I listened to you being interviewed with by Jonathan Landsman. You mentioned sipping vitamin C, 8 grams in a liter of water from 7 to 7. I am wondering about erosion of the enamel. Looking forward to your reply. Okay, that's Ben. Um, well, 
<clears throat> you know, I'm not so sure how uh, sodium ascorbate would affect the enamel. I don't, it's not an acid. Uh, so I don't think it would affect enamel, but let's say it did sodium ascorbate. Let's say it did. You're not going to keep it in your mouth. You know, when you take a sip, like you take a sip of water, not much gets to your teeth. Most of it, you, and you just swallow it. So uh, don't even worry about that, Bev, but do it. You need the vitamin C. We all do. So what do you Okay. That means I'll see you next week, uh, same time. And uh, as long as I hope, I hope we're all. I hope nothing big happens. I've noticed fevers are going around. Little kids are getting sick. It's happening in China, and now it's happening here. And I just, uh, I just hope this is not the beginning of the new one. Um, um, but uh, if it is, uh, remember the answer is no, no. Or, or you could just say no way. Or you could make sure you've got some sneakers nearby so you can run as fast as you can. Because the answer's got to always be no. Wait a minute. How did I do that? Anyway. Aloha. So what cup, you guys? Uh, there we go. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Dr. Lodi Podcast. Join Dr. Lodi's membership community at drlodi.com, where you will have exclusive access to Dr. Lodi's cancer healing and wellness webinars, a community of health-minded people, healthy lifestyle recommendations, educational videos, and discounts on courses and content. While you're there, RSVP for upcoming events and register for the Stop Making Cancer online course. If you enjoyed listening, please share and write a review.